Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Here in the month of November, we're doing this series called Follow Me. If you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand right quick, and one of our ushers would be glad to serve you. I want you to go with me, if you have a Bible, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I do want to welcome those that are streaming live with us as well. We pray God speaks to you where you're at, and the ministry of the Spirit of God will minister to you. Matthew chapter 3. It's the only place I'm going to ask you to turn to today. We're going to read the text, and we'll come back around to it. I know going into this message... Um, Some of you will not like the direction this message goes because this series, remember, is about following Jesus. Not following a person, but following Jesus. And there were places that Jesus went during his time on earth that when Jesus says to us, follow me, that means everywhere Jesus goes, we are called to what? Go. We're called to follow. We're called to go where Jesus goes. And so when we work ourselves through this series, I felt God leading me to this message that God would ask us to speak about following him to a a specific place, a peculiar place. Now, when we talk about following Jesus, which is what it means to be a Christian, to follow after Jesus, a lot of times we get really excited, and it's fun to talk about that when we talk about victory. Like, I'm going to follow Jesus onto the battlefield where I'll be victorious. That's a lot of fun to talk about. But the title of today's message is, Follow Me Into the Wilderness. Follow me into the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3 is the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. His ministry on earth begins in Matthew chapter 3. It was a three-year season of ministry, and Matthew 3 is the start of it all. And boy, does it start off with a bang. I mean, an absolute bang. Matthew chapter 3, begin verse 13. I'm going to read. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven, the Father's voice, said, this is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Another translation, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am well pleased. Now that's a great induction into ministry, isn't it? Is there a better introduction into ministry than that right there? I mean, I would have loved if the first day Meredith and I and our kiddos were called to Woodstock, if we would have driven up I-575 and the heavens opened up over Woodstock and said, Hey, Woodstock! This is my son and my family with whom I am well pleased. And right about that time, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on top of our little Honda Pilot. And everywhere we go, but but I hate to burst your bubble, it didn't happen that way for us. Pastor Chad, I'm sure you really wish when you first moved that that would have been your induction into church planning. That's not how church planning happens. But it is how Jesus' ministry starts. That's a pretty amazing scene. Now watch The very next verse, the very next one, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Now, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, bad translation English, Jesus was driven with hostility by the Spirit, the Greek language. This is a hostile, we always talk about the gentle nature of the Holy Spirit, more times than not, he's not gentle like a mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost. When Pentecost happens, that which is established begins to shake, all right? Things begin to shake up. And notice what happened. Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Now, don't hate me. I didn't go there first. Jesus did. Jesus went to the wilderness. Now, don't, don't get this wrong. When you hear the word wilderness, don't think of what I think about when I hear the word wilderness. I think of the place I went this week where I was off the map, and I was hunting in the bottom of a big, deep valley with beautiful trees all around me, deer, chipmunks, more chipmunks than I could count. I mean, it was like Alvin, Simon, Timothy. I mean, mean, every single one. Timothy's not one, is he? Pete, Theodore, that's right. I knew it started with a T. Uh, Theodore. 
door, right? My mind's on scripture, sorry. Um, the, I'm just kidding. Jesus, you, um, but those chipmunks all around me, I mean, everywhere. And when I think of, when I think of wilderness, I think of that. I think of a beautiful place. Let me tell you, don't get this wrong. When he says Jesus led into the wilderness, he's really led into the desert. I've been there before. There's not one single blade of grass. This place is desolate. There is no trees. There is absolutely no water. This is no trees, no grass. I've been there in that wilderness before. I learned a lot that there is no wilderness, no irrigation system. It's the most deserted place on the planet. And this is the dry and the weary, nothing lives out here, wilderness. I want you to think about this for a moment. From Christ's perspective. I know Christ didn't think this way, but just put yourself in his shoes. Think about it. Think about it for a moment. Christ starts his earthly ministry with a bang. Woo! Voice from heaven. Holy Spirit descending like a dove. God shouts out to the Son and all that are gathered. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And if you were Jesus... I know he didn't, but if you were Jesus, you know you'd be thinking, all right, Father, what are we going to do to follow that up? What's next on the docket? Our first stop, I can imagine, Father, is going to be on the battlefield. You ready? Ready, Father? Come on, Holy Spirit, lead me right out into the battle. I'm going to show everybody on planet Earth in the knockdown, you know, the first WWF match between me and Satan. And I'm going to wear him out and say and announce that I'm here. The Messiah has come. Is that where we're going, Father? Nope. Okay, I got it, I got it, okay. So you're going to take me to the home of a dead person, right? You're going to take me to the home of a dead person, and you through me are going to resurrect them, and we're going to have a hashtag behind my ministry for the next three years, hashtag preview of coming attractions. Is that what we're going to do, Father? You ready? You ready for the resurrection? You ready to go raise a dead man? Nope. Oh, okay, all right, I got it. So you're going to lead me to uh, go, like, rescue a dude out of the top of a tree? Is that what I... Nope. The Holy Spirit looks at Jesus and says, follow me. And he starts walking right into the middle of a desert where nothing survives. Nothing. And imagine if you were Jesus. I know you're not. Don't tell your spouse, go home, say, Pastor Craig said, I'm Jesus today, all right? That would not go well, all right? That would not go well. But imagine if you were Jesus, you would look around and say, how am I going to start a worldwide ministry out here in the middle of nowhere? How am I going to start a movement that will span the globe and have billions of followers when I start my ministry in a desert where nobody sees me? How in the world will this happen? Well, I got really good news for you, church. Really, really good news. And in this message, I'm going to teach you four things. Everybody say four things. That you need to learn about deserts and wildernesses that will help you get out of the next one when you find yourself in it. If you're in a desert right now or you've been in a desert and you're saying to God, why am I here, God? What's going on? What, what are you doing? Here's point number one. Deserts make surprisingly good launch pads. Deserts make surprisingly good launch pads. The desert was Christ's launch pad into public ministry. 40 days, 40 nights, fasting in the desert. Now, if you were Jesus, you know you'd be saying, why am I out here, Father? Why am I out here? And how do I know that you would be saying, why am I out here? Because if you're in a desert right now, or you've ever been in a desert, you ask God, why am I here? You ask God, what in the world's going on right now? And if Jesus would have asked the Father that question, I can see God saying, you know, why am I here? I know, uh, isn't it so great to be out here, Jesus? Woo! I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, you could see the Father getting so excited about Jesus. Oh, yeah! Oh, isn't it amazing? It's about to go down right here in the middle of nowhere, right? You can see the Father responding. And Jesus is like, what are you so excited about? Oh, the scripture tells us what he's so excited about. Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices. That's why he's excited. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's 
hand. God says, I rejoice in seeing a church begun. I rejoice in seeing a church planting movement begun. I I rejoice in seeing a new season for your life. I rejoice in you taking on a new mission. The Lord rejoices at the beginning of new seasons. God rejoices. The question today is, when does a new season begin? That's a great question. I want you for a moment to think of your interpretation of the seasons in your life. The seasons you've gone through. When does a new season begin? Let me give you my answer to when a new season begins. A new season begins the moment you leave the last one, not the first moment in the next one. I'm going to say it again. A new season begins the moment you leave the last one, not the first moment in the next one. Most people that I meet, they think the desert is a season unto itself, like it's a season of my life, but it's not. Here's how you know it's not. Does the Bible ever talk about Jesus' 40 days of the Christian ministry are in the desert as though it were a season? No. His three years in earthly ministry were a season. The 40 days in the desert was just the beginning. What do you mean, Craig? Oftentimes, new seasons can begin in nasty deserts. New seasons can begin in nasty places. We think of desert seasons like this. Deserts come between one good season and the next good season. Desert seasons are sandwiched between a good season and another good season. No, no, listen to me. Some of the best seasons of your life might just begin in some of the worst deserts you ever see. The worst deserts. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, the prophet Isaiah, he said, Do you not remember? Do not remember God speaking the former things, nor consider the things of old? Behold, I will do a new thing, God says. I'm faithful, but I'm not predictable. You won't know what I'm about to do, but just know I'm about to do something. I'm going to do a new thing, he says to the nation of Israel. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness. I will make rivers in the desert. Did you just catch that. You know what that means? Next time you find yourself in a desert, and if you're there right now, you should be getting excited. You should be rejoicing, getting excited, because some of the most divine work God ever does, he does in the middle of deserts where you think no one's paying attention to you. God makes streams in the desert. God makes what? He makes roads in the wilderness. God does new work in desert seasons. God begins a new work in difficult places of our life. Yet many of us We gripe about the desert seasons of our lives. Shockingly, though, deserts make surprisingly great launch pads for new seasons. Number two, deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. I want you to think about this for a minute. Why was the Son of God led out into the desert? Why was he led out there? You don't have to pontificate that. Answer, because the scripture clearly tells us. I know many people say this is a fulfillment of the reverse of the 40 years in the wilderness. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness complaining. They were obstinate and stiff-necked, so Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days to reverse that curse. I understand that. There's a lot of meanings here. Others people say, well, Jesus had to go be tempted by the devil because he was going to be found worthy as God's son, and Satan brought temptation to make him the unworthy one, which is part of our identity and why Temptation comes our ways too. But, but the scripture clearly tells us why Jesus was led by the, by the spirit in the wilderness. It was clear. To be tempted by the devil. He was led in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So after 40 days and 40 nights fasting, the devil comes to tempt him. Why? I've got a reason for you. Why does God, why does Satan come and tempt Jesus after fasting 40 days and 40 nights? Because the desert is a place where things go to die. A desert is not a place where things go to live. The desert is a place where things go to die, which means the desert seasons are the perfect place to kill that which is trying to kill you. The desert seasons of life are the perfect places to kill the sin that's trying to kill you. That's what James 1, 13, 14, and 15 tells us. James chapter 1, he said, And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone to do wrong, anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which are 
own desires entice us and they drag us away. When those desires entice us and drag us away, they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What do you mean? Sin is a kill or be killed battle. You do not peacefully coexist with sin. You kill it or it kills you. Somebody wins, somebody loses every time. There's no ability to stay in a peaceful relationship with sin. It kills you, you kill it. And every baby sin grows up to become an adult sin. He says sin is allowed to grow. It gives birth to death. Death in every possible way of our lives. So the desert is the perfect place to kill that which is trying to kill you. And the devil's always trying to tempt you with the number one thing he knows he can get you with. The devil attaches his attack to the angle of your desires. Oh, yes, he does. Where your unrestrained, unrestricted desires and appetites are, that's where Satan begins to attach his attack. He attaches his attack to that angle in your life. Listen, don't get it confused between trials and tribulations and then and then temptation. Test, trials, temptations, uh, are, they're different things. When, when you talk about God, God tests us, but Satan tempts us. What's the difference? God tests us to try to get the best to come out of us. Satan tempts us to try to get the worst inside of us. This is the difference. To test, trials, the, the, these, these tribulations, they come to work out of us the will of man and to work into us the will of Almighty God. So the desert is the perfect place to tackle temptation. Here's how you know. Would you rather tackle temptation on a stage in front of everyone else? Would you rather tackle the temptation that has been habitual in your life, in your flesh, in the lure of the enemy, the pride of life, the Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Would you rather tackle temptation at the pinnacle of success when everybody is watching you? When God has entrusted hundreds of lives to you? The care, the stewardship, would you rather in that moment? No, listen, by God's grace, he takes you through these desert seasons and says, hey, there's some things trying to tackle you, Craig. Let's go out into the desert. Let's go out into the back 40 and kill them. How about it? Let's go, let's go out into the desert and get rid of these things. How about it? The desert church is the perfect place, the perfect place for the things that are trying to kill you to be killed by you. That's the desert. The desert. But you might be saying, God, well, why am I so long in this desert? Why is, why is this desert season lasting so long, Lord? Why is the wilderness forever? Well, I just got one possible option. Why the desert season might be lasting so long, the reason it might be lasting so long for you is because maybe you've chosen to feed your flesh in the very desert God has commanded you to fast your way through. Now listen, I, I want to be honest here. I know some of you told you you wouldn't like the direction of this message. Just hang on. It'll be like fresh bread out of the oven here in just a minute, all right? You're going to feel victory in your soul, and you're going to walk out of here with some spring in your step and your head held high and your strength in your bones. I promise you. Just stick with me. When I am in desert seasons, I don't know about you, but are you, I'm more tempted in desert seasons to feed the flesh than any other time. My, I mean, it gets desert seasons like when nobody's paying attention to me. Anyways, God's obviously not. He's lost my GPS coordinates, so might as well just go ahead. and my, His Garmin has gone dead. The heavenly Garmin, is it up there, God? You got some satellite on me? Do you know where I'm at? I've been out here in the desert. What's going on, God? You feel like you're in an obscure place? You're asking God, why am I here? I know in those moments, we'd start making excuses, right? No one's paying attention to us. It doesn't really matter right now. I'm frustrated. Who cares anyways? Well, maybe this will get God's attention. And we start throwing out excuses. Can I tell you, those are the worst things we can say in desert seasons. Let me give you the wisest thing you can say in a desert season. You can say to God, what needs to die out here in this desert? What needs to be a, a, a strangle. What needs to be killed? What are the things that I keep playing with in season after season? What do I keep getting tempted by that I need to kill in this desert? And God says, you're not going to go into the next season of life proving your fruitfulness as my disciple until we deal with the issue in front of you. Listen to me, church. The desert is the perfect place to tackle temptation. 
the perfect place. Number three, deserts are the perfect place to prove it. Deserts are the perfect place to prove it. Deserts make surprisingly good launch pads. Deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Thirdly, deserts are the perfect place to prove it. Let's read my favorite passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Begin with me, verse 2. He said, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness? That ought to be good news for some of you who are in the wilderness. God doesn't lead you into the wilderness to die. He leads you through the wilderness. God doesn't take people into deserts and leave them. He takes them through deserts. He takes them through wildernesses. That, that's enough just to shout on. I, might have, I, I could call the worship team up right now and go sit back down, right? I mean, think about that. God led you. Remember how he led you through Israel, the wilderness. For these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. And to find out, God says, I want to find out something about you, Craig. Will you obey my commands or not? I want to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Let me ask a real random question. If you're not married, it doesn't matter. Still think about it for a moment. When is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? When is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? Think about that for a minute. If I would have asked the question before this question, I would have said, how many of you who are married in the room, you got a great marriage? Raise your hand. you got a great marriage. Awesome. Now I'm going to follow up that question with another question. I'm going to say, prove it. How can you prove that you got a great marriage? Better yet, when is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? Let me tell you the answer. The perfect time to prove you got a great marriage is not on the honeymoon. It's in the middle of the desert. The perfect time to prove you got a great, strong marriage is not when things are well. It's when you're in the middle of the wilderness. Listen to me. I'm going to give some of you single ladies some help right here, some of you single men some help. Here we go. Good enough to write down. Should have put it in your card, but didn't. Let me give it to you right now. Here it comes. All right? Any fool can woo you on a date, but only a godly person can wow you in the middle of their desert. I'm going to say that again. All right? Any fool can woo you on a date, but it takes a godly person who's been humbled in the presence of God, whose character's been tested, and who has found out by God that he will obey his commandments to wow you in the middle of his desert season yeah think about this the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage is when you are going through difficulty oh it's so easy to be ooey gooey and lovey dubby when everything's awesome right but what about when things are not awesome like everybody in America, we love to put pics of our honeymoon on social media. Like, look at the beach we just went to. Look at that beach. Look at that beach. You know, we, we Instagram and live from the beach. Look, cruise ship in the back, pier out to the water, stingrays. You know, we love it. Like, look, 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 honeymoon. Look at the awesome restaurant we ate. Shrimp cocktail, crabbling, all you can eat. You know, we love to put those pics. Like, this is awesome. You know, this is amazing. Look, we just went parasailing. Cheap price here in Maui. You know, cheap price. Look, deal of the century. Parasailing off the back of the boat. That's all awesome, y'all, really. I learned so much about you from social media, so please keep posting, all right? I learned a lot about you. I want to see your pictures of your honeymoon. I do. I'm all good. I'm good for it. want to see it all day long. Listen, you know what I really would like to see? I would like to have you Instagram your next fight with your spouse. That's what I would really like. I want you next time to prove you have an awesome rest uh, relationship. What I want you to do is right when you're about to get a knockout and drag out, oh, hold on, honey. Let me, let me set up the phone right here. Facebook Live. Let's get some viewers. Okay, good. Now, Let's get back at it, all right? And I want you in front of Facebook Live to show the rest of the world what happened this week in the conversation that nobody else knows about at church, all right? I would like you to set up the phone and show on Facebook Live the rest of the world about how great your marriage really is, right? How great it is. How awesome it is. Now you're like, who has a great marriage now? You know what I'm saying? It's like, if we're looking at the honeymoon pics, who's got a great marriage? Everybody's hands up, right? I got a great marriage. But if we're all watching Facebook Live during your next fight, I don't know that we would all say you got a great marriage. 
The same is true for God. Let's look at it. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. I love this passage. My God, I love it. He says, the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. And why is God's eyes searching the whole earth? In order to what? Strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Another translation, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to look and find hearts that are fully committed to him that he might strengthen them. These are his eyes watching during difficult seasons and I got good news for you although Facebook live might not be watching God is and let me tell you what God really begins to hone in with some 2010 vision on you God begins to watch how you handle the desert seasons oh yes he does God begins to watch how you handle the wilderness seasons he's looking for those who are heart are fully committed to him why in order to strengthen them let me tell you something he looks over the whole earth and he looks over people whose hearts are committed to him so that he might strengthen them and you know what it's pretty pretty easy to spot for God someone who is in the middle of a desert when nothing else is around them and nobody else is paying attention to them yet their heart still yearns for God yet their heart is still committed to God it's not hard for the eyes of God to find you and strengthen you and it makes it even easier for God when you're in the middle of your wilderness it makes it even easier for God to find you in the middle of your desert when you're dominating the desert do you know there's a difference how do you know the difference between somebody who's dominating the wilderness and wallowing in the wilderness? How do you know the difference between somebody who's wandering in the wilderness and winning in the wilderness? How do you know if you're dominating in the desert? You ready? You know you are dominating in the desert where Jesus has led you when you don't see the desert as a desert. You know you're dominating the, the, the wilderness God's led you to when you don't see the wilderness as a wilderness. You know you are dominating in the desert when you see the desert as one part walkway and one part workout facility. Now let me explain. One part walkway. God, no doubt, sends us in desert seasons because the desert is designed to help us get where he has designed us to go. Just like the Israelites could not go to the promised land unless they went to the, de the, the desert. God has deserts that he has to walk you through to get you to where he wants you to go. Because people, we don't understand something about freedom. See, the people of God had left Egypt, but they still had Egypt in them. And freedom is not leaving sin. It's letting sin leave you. It's, getting, it's, not, it's not you getting out of Egypt. It's getting Egypt out of you. And that's what desert seasons do. It gets that old mentality out of you. It gets the old perceptions out of you. That's what true freedom is. That's freedom. That's no longer any slavery. And what happens is God begins to lead us. It's one part walkway, no doubt, no doubt. But it's also one part workout facility. The desert is a workout facility so that he, God, might strengthen you so that when you step into that promise, you can stay in that promise. He's not interested in you visiting the promise. He's interested in you residing in the promise. And you can't reside in the promise unless you work out in the wilderness. Unless he strengthens. Another way I can say this is you can't clear tomorrow's hurdles with today's strength. So he gives you today and puts you through the wilderness because he knows your tomorrow. And he's not going to have you trip up and hit your face on the concrete in tomorrow's hurdle. So he leaves you in today to build your strength. He don't want you falling flat on your face in front of people. So he gives you a chance to prepare and he did it by calling it T-O-D-A-Y. And you can always tell about what people believe about their tomorrow by how well they steward their today. If you don't steward your today well, you're telling God you don't believe he has anything great for you tomorrow. This is the wilderness that is the place for us to prove to God our commitment, our love. Now listen to me. God doesn't need you to prove your love for him. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he needs you to do it. He does need you to prove that you're his disciple, John 15, 7, by bearing much fruit. But he doesn't need you to prove your love for him. But in the desert, you get a chance to prove your love for God. So what I'm not saying is you have to prove your love for God. What I'm saying is the desert is the perfect place to prove your love for God. The desert is a far greater place to profess your love for your spouse than a date night is. Date nights are awesome. I got one coming up tonight. I'm, I'm already tasting the food and hang out with the wife. It's a surprise. I'm excited. 
I'm excited about date night. Date nights are awesome. You should do date nights. But listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. In this, it's the same way with God. It is the exact same way with God. It means a lot more in the middle of a desert for you to profess your love for him. He doesn't need us to prove our love in the desert. It just happens to be the most wonderful place where we can prove our love for him. I told some guys earlier, said, I never told you this before, but I got a superpower. Did you know this? I got a superpower. A really special power. And you, you might have this power too, maybe not, maybe so. But I got this superpower. I have been given the ability to discern people who are wandering and wailing in the wilderness between people who are dominating in the wilderness. I've been given this superpower. You didn't know this, did you? It's my superpower. To determine whether someone's wandering in the wilderness or dominating in the wilderness. Let me tell you how I use my superpower, because you can use it too. If you ever want to discern whether or not someone's going through the wilderness dominating it, winning it, or they're winding their way through it, here's how you exercise the proof of that discernment. It's one simple but yet very powerful question. You go up to somebody and you say, how are you doing? How are you doing? And here's what it does. Someone who's welling in the desert, they answer something like this, fine. Man, I'm frustrated. Man, I got so much going on. I'm 10 times more busier than anybody else at the church. I wish I had their schedule. <laughs> well, imagine what I could do with their schedule. <laughs> and I got more things to do than anybody else has to do. I mean, you want to know if somebody's welling their way through the wilderness? They hijack everybody else's post on social media with negativity. It's like everything's going really good, and boom, there comes the hijack. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those are people that are whining their way right through the desert. They're just whining their way, wailing their way. They're, they're so negative, they become so pessimistic, and then they become so cynical that they're one step away from total paralysis. They're whining their way through the desert, wailing, wandering their way through the desert. Ah! I've been in this desert season for a few years, Pastor Craig, and it's, it's ridiculous. I opened my lunch, bread had mold on it, Ziploc baggie, didn't work. Look at this and the trials and the tribulations I'm going through. And this is hell on earth. That's the way someone who is losing in the desert talks, right? I know these people. You know, you know these people. You know these people. Maybe you're one of these people. By God's grace, you can change in Jesus' name. I mean, just hijacking everything with negativity. But someone who's dominating in the desert, when they're asked, how are you? They say, you know what? I'm fine. I'm going through really tough stuff right now, to be honest with you. But you know what? Even though I can't find one single reason why God has me in this desert, and I'll be honest with you, I can't absolutely stay in this desert. I hate it, actually. I hate it and loathe it with all I got. I know something. I know that right now some of the most beautiful and the special moments in my relationship with the Lord in the past years have come from desert seasons in the past. And I don't know how God will get me out of this. I have no idea how God will get me out of this. I don't have no idea how God will rescue me and lead me out of this desert season. I have no idea. I've cried out to God, and yet at this moment I don't feel like it. I don't feel like his presence is here. I don't feel like he's, he's leading me anywhere different. But you know what? I look forward to the day that I'm going to keep my hand interlocked with his fingers, and I look forward to the Day, that he and I hand in hand walk up out of this desert together. I don't know how it's going to go down, but it's about to go down. While I'm not happy about it all, my hope and my trust is in God. My hope and trust is not in my surroundings. My hope and trust is not in my relationships. My hope and trust is not in my circumstances. My hope and trust is in God and God alone. So I got a question for you. How do you answer the question, how are you doing? How do you answer the question? And I think I'm learning a lot from the people in this room that maybe some of you answer the wrong way because I can feel the venom in the room right now. It's like snake eyes. The power is going through the air to my, this pulpit. Like, Craig, you're embarrassing me in front of my spouse. No, I'm not. God's just exposing something, so just be okay. And let humility attract grace. To overpower, to feel the gap. If you think you're going to get to heaven one day and the God of the universe is going to say, hey, how's it going today, son? And you're going to say, oh, well, these streets don't look very flashy. 
And I'm a bit disappointed in the gate there, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I would expect a little bit bigger gate than that. That looks like a sheep's gate. I've told jokes about Peter's gate for the last 72 years. And then I get this little gate. What is it, six foot, two inches? I mean, I thought I would at least get a hundred foot gate. Like, you think you can get to heaven and complain like that? Listen, listen, you can always find something to gripe about, especially in the desert. You can always find something. But let me help you understand something. You ready? The more you whine in the wilderness, the longer you will remain there. The more you complain in the wilderness, the more you have negative confession in the wilderness, the longer you will reside there. You will take circles and circles and circles and circles. Always. The desert is the perfect place to stand before God and say, you know what, God? I'll follow you anywhere, even here. I'll follow you here. And if you're not leaving here, God, I'm not leaving here. In fact, let me go ahead and tell you something, Jesus. I ain't walking out of this desert till I see your footsteps walk up out of this desert. I'm here. The desert is the perfect place to prove our love and our commitment to God. Number four, come on, Casey. Deserts are the perfect place for pronouncements. Deserts are the perfect place for pronouncements. Deserts are the, make surprisingly good launch pads. Deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Deserts are the perfect place to prove it. And deserts are the perfect place for pronouncements. Everybody say pronouncement. The word pronouncement in the Bible means a formal or authoritative statement. Everybody say a bold declaration. That's what a pronouncement is, a bold declaration. Go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Look at our text. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, notice this, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting. Everybody say shouting. The wilderness is not a place to whisper. The wilderness is a place to shout. The wilderness is not a place to talk with low volume. The wilderness is a place to shout. He said he's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Did you catch that? In the middle of the desert, we should make pronouncements. Bold declarative statements one of my phrases that I've used for years and sometimes when I use it around people they're like that sounds not good but don't take it literal I'm like come on you can't take it all literal I always say when God like drops a Holy Spirit grenade in my lap and like when I'm reading the Bible and it boom just hits me I'm talking about like boom hits me I usually say man that, that text was nasty everybody's like the washing of the water of the word is pure it's not nasty you know it's like I'm like, come on, just follow me for a minute. Come on, jump into 21st century vernacular. It was nasty. One of the phrases that I've used as it relates to spiritual warfare for years of my life, when it relates to spiritual warfare, we preached on spiritual warfare last November. That was our whole series. One of the things I've always told people is don't fight fair, play dirty. Don't fight fair, play dirty. Now, here's why I use that phrase as it relates to spiritual warfare. Because the Bible says, as believers, we are to be as shrewd as serpents. Can I let you in on a little secret? The serpent called Satan that you and I are fighting against never plays fair, so why should you? He never plays fair. He never plays fair. If he plays dirty, you play dirty. What does that mean, Craig? Do I break biblical rules? No. Don't break biblical rules in spiritual warfare. What I'm saying is this. You don't go into a battle with Satan and greet him like this. Oh, hey, it's nice to see you this morning. Having a good day? That's how you greet somebody at the welcome team at DP, not, not how you go to battle against the enemy of your soul. No, no, no. You don't go in and say, oh, it's nice. Nice to see you. No, he, he fights dirty. You fight dirty. If you're going to advance, you're going to have to be aggressive. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to be aggressive on your knees in prayer. You're going to have to be aggressive in your approach. You have to. So what I want to do is I want to give you real quickly as we close three ways to fight dirty in every desert. Three ways to fight dirty in every desert. And I'm telling you now, these three things will annoy. Everybody say annoy. Annoy every enemy of God 
and every enemy of you in every desert and every palace you find yourself in. I want to give you these three pronouncements. Why? Because the desert is the perfect place to shout something. The perfect place to declare something. John the Baptist came into the desert shouting, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let me give you the first thing to shout, to fight dirty. Number one, Jesus is coming. Feels good to say that. Jesus is coming. Isaiah 40, verse 3 and 5. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. He says, then the day of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the Lord has spoken. Anytime you see in the Bible where it says, thus says the Lord, or the Lord has spoken, that is a pronouncement. That is not to be whispered. That is to be shouted. And the smartest thing you can do in every desert you find yourself in, when you feel beat up, broken, disgusted, knocked down, about to be knocked out of the match, you lift up your voice and say, Jesus is coming. When I was in high school, I played for a high school called Saudi Daisy High School. I played football, basketball, baseball. We weren't so good in basketball. We got really good in football. We should have gone a whole lot further my senior year. But in my football team, we were the Saudi Daisy Trojans. This week I was in Tennessee for a day, and so I took Knox in a rainy day in my truck and drove him around the school while they were in school, and I showed him where the football field was and, you know, living my glory days. Dad blocked a lot of punts on that field right there, son. Dad had two interceptions against Mama's team, Red Bank High School, his senior year against that team, 34-0. And, you know, I'm reliving the glory days. I'm showing inside of Daisy. But inside of Daisy, inside of Daisy for the last, I think, 30, 35 years, they've had a manager who works as a janitor by the day. He lives right next to the school. His name is Robert Talaska. He works by a janitor. He shows up every morning about 6 o'clock in the morning. He does all the janitorial duties all day long for the school. As soon as school gets out, he's the manager for every sport, every sport. He doesn't leave the campus until all students are away from the campus at the end of the day. He's mentally handicapped. He's been mentally handicapped since he was a boy. And he is an amazing dude, one of my favorite guys to speak to. I'm so glad he got glory finally. At News Channel 9 in, Ch in Chattanooga, got his story and finally interviewed him on the field. And... And he, he catches every football through the uprights, every extra point, every field goal. His name is Robert Talaska. This is Robert. I love my man, Robert. Robert, about 20-something years ago, he created a cheer. It's a cheer that is a fraternal thing. I did everything I could this week to try to get a hold of a video of us singing this, and I could not find it anywhere, which shows you all the more this is a brotherhood fraternal thing. No one knows about this cheer. In other words have seen it or videoed it unless they've played football or been a coach at some time. And in the locker room, right before we would go out to play, every team that came into Saudi Daisy, you know what, we, we may not beat them, but they're going to be absolutely annoyed at some point. There's not a person that's going to be annoyed, and they're going to be annoyed not because of our scoring streak, but because of a chance, a cheer, to sound. You know, you go to some schools, and it's like everybody has the same cheer book. Like, dribble, dribble, shoot, shoot. Take that ball right to the hoop, you know. Like, one, five bits, four bits, six bits, you know, that kind of, I'm not, that, that, that stuff doesn't fly at Saudi Daisy, okay? We are, we are redneck in Saudi Daisy, all right? And we got our own chance. And Robert Talaska, he would get in front of the football team. I just played on an alumni game two springs ago. <clears throat> Surprised it didn't break my back then, but I played it like 29 years old, and Robert came back with all the players from the years. And right before we went out, he gets in front of us, and he pretends to play an electric guitar. And we start singing. He leads it. Whisper to me softly. We're going to win this game. Show that we can do it. Show the best team. We're going to get out there now, he would do. And show the coaches. We're going to get out there now. And show the people. We the team. 
We'll beat the lions now. Now. We're going to get out there and play some offense. And about this time, all the people in the stands kicking. We're going to get out there and play some defense. Because we, the team, will beat the lions now. And then he would say, who are we? The Trojans, who are we going to be? The Lions, yeah! And everybody would hit each other and helmets popping together and shoulder pads. And, man, it annoyed the fire out of the other teams. I mean, it, it, they knew they were in for it. It was like the hounds of heaven woke up and everybody got louder and everyone's annoyed. And I've seen team after team, four years of my high school career, went on tilt because they were bothered by this stupid cheer. Can I let you in on a little secret? Next time you feel knocked down in the desert of life, next time you feel like you, you've got Satan on top of you and the hounds of hell are mocking you and he's stepping on your throat and he's counting to ten to knock you up out out of the match to lose faith over whoever it is you've been praying for to lose faith over every relationship that you've been in as he begins to count one I want you please for the love of God when he counts two three four five before he gets to six I want you with everything within you would you please annoy the fire out of Satan and about his hounds of hell and say Jesus is coming see when I say that some of you, you've already let those three words be weak because you think they're just cheesy phrases when in fact they're the strongest, most authoritative declarations in Scripture. Jesus is coming. Man, when I was in my wilderness in January, day after day, crying out to God, asking, Lord, would you deliver me, please? Lord, I no idea what's going on in my life. I kept on praying, Jesus is coming. Those three words cause demons to tremble. Jesus is coming. The devil may have knocked me down, but I got bad news for you, Satan. Jesus is coming. I'm shouting from this desert of frustration, Craig. Jesus is coming. Listen to me. You don't whisper those words. You shout them. You shout them. And all of hell gets frustrated when you shout, Jesus is coming. Come on, team. Here's the second one. Not only Jesus is coming. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Come on, praise the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 20. Look what he said. The beast of the field will honor me. This is the same passage we just read on. Behold, I do a new thing. This is the next verse. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give water in the wilderness. Somebody say water in the wilderness. And I give rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. Why? They shall declare my praise. You listen to me. Listen to this preacher. God gives you water in the wilderness, not so you can perceive his provision. God gives you water in the wilderness so you, he can receive your praise. God gives you water in the desert season so he can receive your glory, your praise, your honor. The desert is the perfect place to praise. The next time you feel like whining in the wilderness, worship. The next time you feel like whining in the desert, worship. And here's what you learn. This is the best statement, my favorite statement I'll give you in the message. Here's what you'll learn real quickly. When you learn to worship in the wilderness, do not be surprised when you find yourself departing the desert by the end of your song. When you learn to worship in your wilderness, don't be at all surprised when you find yourself walking up out of the desert before you even done singing the song. Why? Because the desert is the perfect place to pronounce. Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Number three, Satan, you lose. Satan, you lose. Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Satan, you lose. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 
And after you've suffered a little while, listen to me. I don't want you, those in this room, I don't want you just to listen to these words. For some of you in this room, this is a prophetic word that you need to receive. Don't listen, receive. You need to receive it from the, the mouth of God, the oracles of God. My God. He said, the God of all grace, who has called you after you suffer a little while, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself. He won't send angels. He will himself restore. He will himself confirm. He will himself strengthen. And he will himself establish you. My God. To him. Here's my favorite part of the verse. To him be the dominion. The dominion forever and ever. Dominion forever and ever. Dominion forever and ever. Did you know the desert is one of God's favorite places to exercise His dominion? Did you know God has a habit of exercising dominion in wilderness seasons? Did you know God's got a, a habit of exercising dominion even in Jesus' life? What is dominion? Dominion is supreme or sovereign authority. It's the sovereign authority of God. When we hear the word dominion, we think of Jesus exercising dominion over Satan. We think this is their first encounter. This should be a fight. This should be a match. He can dominate the devil. First impressions are important. Are you going to fight the devil, Jesus, in the wilderness? We think about dominion as something that's proven in battle. That's not where dominion is proven. Dominion's not proven in battle. No, sir. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and look what the Bible says. After the third temptation, after the third temptation, Satan, Jesus looks at, uh, at Satan in verse 10. He said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. That's dominion. There's no fight. There's no shouting. There's no screaming. Satan, get out of here. Listen to me. The devil has no authority over God. The devil has no authority over the Holy Spirit. The devil has no authority over Jesus Christ our Lord. And listen, after the third temptation, he shows us what real dominion is. When Jesus says, get out of here, the devil was to leave. And that, my friends, is dominion. If you want to play dirty in the desert, if you want to play dirty in your desert, you shoot up yourself in your prayer closet. I want you in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand up in this room. And right there, maybe you make your own prayer closet. And you say, Jesus is coming. <laughs> Praise ye the Lord. Satan, you lose. You lose. Oh, no, 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 no. These are not catchy phrases, folks. These are not cheesy phrases. If you think you are, and they are, the devil has robbed you. He's already robbed you of the power of walking in the bold declaration of God. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Christ. When all of hell hears that, demons tremble. Praise the Lord. Just when Satan and his demons were looking at you and were expecting you to praise the least frequently, then all of a sudden you stand up on your feet with a bloody lip, having done all to stand. You you still stand and say, praise ye the Lord. Oh my God, you frustrate the whole hounds of hell. You say, praise the Lord of hosts. Praise Almighty God. I praise you, Lord, with all that I am. You say, Satan, you lose. I've read the end of the story. You lose. You're going to be locked away in abyss. You lose. You may be in a desert right now, church. I hate this, Lord. I hate what I'm going through. Listen, you feel like he's deserted you? I can assure you he has not. The God of all grace is with you. The God of all grace likes to use the moments when you think you've been counting out. He likes to use the moments when it looks like your downfall to absolutely express and for you to experience his dominion. He likes to establish you. He loves to use what looks like your failure and he exercises his dominion. So the next time you hear Jesus say, follow me in the desert, follow me, Craig, you can trust him. He's not leading you there to die. He's leading you there to kill something that's trying to kill you. He's leading you there to try to kill something that's trying to tackle you. And you can trust him. He's not out to kill you. He's out to strengthen you. He's out to test you. He's about to see that you're going to, whether or not you obey his commandments. And I'm here to tell you, when Jesus says, follow me in the wilderness, you better bet your bottom dollar. Some of the most divine moments of your life are about to begin. God's about to call some rivers to flow out of the wilderness. God's about to do some new things in your life, in your heart, in your family. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.